Hi, and welcome to the Legal LGBT Podcast. I'm Eric Lesh, Executive Director of Legal, the LGBT Bar of New York. We call this episode SLAP, Solutions for Legislative Advocacy and Policy. New York is at a crucial moment in our history where we're on the verge of perhaps passing some important bills that would protect the equality of LGBT people here in our state. In the first segment, we're going to be talking with Kristen Browdy. Kristen is an attorney here in New York. She is a rock star member of the Legal Board of Directors. And we're going to be discussing finally passing a transgender civil rights bill here in our state. Second, we're going to be talking with Sam Britton. Sam Britton is the head of advocacy and government affairs at the Trevor Project. And we are going to discuss the important effort to ban conversion therapy here in New York. Finally, I'm going to address some of the concerns with harmful gay and trans panic legal defenses and how the LGBT Bar Association of New York is working to eliminate these harmful defenses here in our state. Let's dig in. Hi, Kristen. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. Glad to be here. This podcast deals with the legislative priorities of LGBT people here in New York, and so I'm really excited to be able to talk to you because you've been such a fierce advocate of LGBTQ equality, and you serve on the board of Equality New York, the National Trans Bar Association, and the LGBT Bar Association of Greater New York. Before we dig in, I was wondering if we could take a step back and set the table for folks by describing how the broader political climate and the culture of hate and violence that's permeated our national discourse is affecting LGBT people in New York and across the country. Um, well, it's been, it's been a very rough 600 days. It's now 600 days into the Trump-Pence administration, and they came in visibly angry about all sorts of things, in particular LGBT rights. Their base is anti-LGBT, always has been, and it looks like they're showing no signs of letting up. Um, The transgender community, of which I am proud to be a member, unfortunately has been their first target, Um, and they've been unrelenting in rolling back the protections that were put in place during the previous administration, there was eight years of of unparalleled, unprecedented progress. Um, We had the Attorney General of the United States stand there and, and utter those words, we see you, words that you had never heard from uh, anyone in Washington. And they really infused the trans community with great hope. And then, unfortunately, last November, all that, or two, two Novembers ago, all that changed. Um, and with Pence and Trump uh, coming into Washington, one by one, the protections that have been put in place, starting with the protections for the most vulnerable, those trans students in schools, one by one they got rolled back. Uh, the administration changed its position on things as elementary as as whether trans students should be recognized in their authentic genders. Uh, And and it's been one thing after another. Uh, And now, of course, they have uh, put one justice on the Supreme Court and a second one appears on the way. 
um, who have positions in their past that are distinctly anti-trans, anti-LGBT, and are an existential threat to anyone in our community. You talked about how one of the very first actions of this administration was to rescind guidance that would have given public schools notice about how to comply with Title IX and how to allow students to use restrooms and locker rooms that are consistent with their gender identity and expression. So right out of the gate, we see the administration attacking trans students. Then, of course, they issued the trans military ban, which attacks transgender service members, those who wish to serve their country. And it's not just the federal government. Uh, The transgender community has been under attack from the states. There were bills like HB2 in North Carolina, which prompted the Attorney General Loretta Lynch to say, we see you. Um, And recently, we've seen states like Massachusetts, which have passed civil rights protections for transgender people, now putting an amendment on the ballot that would strip those protections away. It's whack-a-mole. It's going from state to state. It's unrelenting. And anywhere where the um, pseudo-Christian right uh, has a foothold, uh, they are pushing these bills that, uh, in one form or another, restrict the ability of transgender and, indeed, all LGBT people to be equal under the law. And it is equal protection under the law that is all that is at stake here. And that's all that anybody wants. They want to be treated equally. We want to be treated equally. And the solution to this here in New York um, was was one that that came up legislatively back all the way back in 2003 and has passed the state assembly ten times but has never once been given a floor vote in the state senate and that's a bill called GENDA um, the Gender Expression Non-Discrimination Act uh, and ten years in a row it's passed uh, Governor Cuomo has through executive orders, tried to implement um, those changes on an administrative level to make trans and LGBT people truly equal under the law in New York. But those are executive orders. And as we saw in Washington with President Obama, executive orders, the moment President Obama left town, uh, the new administration started rescinding them. So the thought... Um, among those who were far more far-sighted than I, was to enshrine these protections in law. And GENDA was the vehicle that was put together. It has had co-sponsorship um, for years and years and years, but the New York State Senate has been the roadblock. And the reason the New York State Senate has been the roadblock has been that the Republicans have controlled it by a one-vote margin, and they've done it in some years simply because uh, seven Democrats uh, joined something called the Independent Democratic Coalition, which has really been a wing of the Republican Party. And one of them, uh, Simka Felder from Brooklyn, has simply said, yeah, I'm still a Democrat, but I'm voting with the Republicans. Um, And he caucuses with and votes with the Republicans. So those eight people have blocked equality under the law for all LGBT New Yorkers, and in particular trans New Yorkers. 
and they are the focus of uh, challenges in the current election cycle by progressive Democrats, actual Democrats is what I would call them, who we believe and who have pledged to actually vote to pass bills like Genda, to make sure that all New Yorkers are equal and equally protected under the law, even if through the governor leaves office, as someday he will, and the next person wants to come in and, and doesn't feel as strongly or wants to, to uh, try to change some of those protections, this would be an important protection. And that's why, frankly, the trans community is working very hard, along with other members of the LGBT community, to uh, try to get these senators replaced by more progressive and actual Democrats. I think it's remarkable that 20 states, including Utah, have passed protections for transgender people, but we can't pass civil rights protections here in New York. Can you talk a little bit about gender and why it's so important? What would it do for transgender civil rights here in New York? Sure, and and I would point out that the language of gender, in one form or another, has been... uh, legislatively brought into, into in, it's been uh, legislated and passed in counties and towns um, around the state, uh, including some upstate in places you would think oh, might, might be more conservative. The fact is, all it does, all gender does, is it prohibits ge- discrimination based on gender identity or expression. It defines gender identity and expression as someone who is perceived as having a gender identity or self-image or appearance or exhibits behavior or expression uh, that might be different from that traditionally associated with the sex they are assigned at birth. And uh, one portion of gender um, would make certain uh, anti-trans conduct um, punishable rather than as uh, simply a crime, it, w- it would give it enhanced status as a hate crime. Uh, and that's what the bill does. And, and, and I, sh- I should add that while we're picking on those eight Democrats who have, who have sat with the Republicans, my state senator, uh, a man by the name of Terrence Murphy, is the real deciding vote here. He runs from the 40th Senate District, and he heads the Government Operations Committee. Uh, and each year he has been the deciding vote, the one who has killed Genda. And you can bet that uh, there's a Democratic primary this week, and uh, whichever candidate emerges from that, we'll all be working very hard to make sure that that person is elected instead of Terrence Murphy. So when you meet with your representative in their office, what are some of the excuses that they give for failing to take action on Genda? So they don't really have a reason other than the right doesn't like it, and some of them cite uh, perceived uh, or claimed uh, religious objections. And most often it's, it's discussing trans women like me going into, into women's rooms, which is where we've been going for years and years and years, um, and somehow invading the bodily privacy of other women, which if any of these men had ever been in a women's room, they would know that you go into a stall, the door is closed, and unless you are standing up on the, uh, on the toilet looking over the top of the wall, 
you're not going to have any idea who's in the stall next to you. It's 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 the biggest non-issue, the biggest canard that that has ever been offered in terms of of changing areas in schools. Uh, they the schools that have have been affirming, uh, and and that includes districts across this nation. They're not reporting problems. Um, it's people who aren't in the school who create fear in the community and then come in and 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 from the outside where there where there hasn't been a problem try to try to impose a policy solution to a problem that doesn't exist and i can i can give you one really great example of, of how that happens um, the school district in which in which my children went to school one of them is still there um, has has had trans students of which i of whom i've been aware for years and years and years and eventually uh, one of the senior administrators came to me and said, well, what should we do about a bathroom policy? And I said, well, what have you been doing? She said, she said um, well, we've been working individually with families and making sure that everyone's comfortable. And I said, has anyone complained? And she said, no. I said, well, what do you want a policy for? Because if you write down a policy, then somebody's going to be against it. Um, and that's what's happened. In those districts where they've announced policies, People from the outside, people, including some who've, who've children in the school system, have, have come in and said, oh, well, this policy might create a problem. Well, this is the way it's always been. These kids, trans kids, have been part of, of every school system's life, just as trans people have been part of the fabric of American life. Well, you raise a couple of really important points, and the first one is that transgender-inclusive policies are not a safety risk. They do not allow for stalking, for harassment. There are laws on the books that already protect against those type of activities in the restroom. And really, those who are most at risk of violence and assault are trans people themselves. And then, of course, as you mentioned, we have seen action where when schools pass transgender-inclusive policies, either affirmatively or in response to uh, a student who needs accommodation, um, we see some of these anti-LGBT groups sweep in and represent parents um, who are raising all of these safety concerns. And of course, this is when there were no problems before. And of course, with many of the policies that the Trump administration is putting into place, people feel emboldened to go out there and challenge people's basic rights to safety and dignity in institutions and areas where there was no problem before. That's absolutely correct. And 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 the fear of, of a trans person assaulting someone in a restroom is one if if, if you if you take the statistics, there are an estimated the low estimate is one point three million trans Americans. And if you go back in the past twenty years to the number of assaults or even peeping incidents involving trans people in any such facility in the United States, in those past 20 years, there's been exactly one reported. And that person went to jail where she belonged. Yeah. Now, if you think about how many, that's one out of 1.3 million people over 20 years. Now, think about these, these right-wing pastors and how many of them have been arrested for things like sexual assault. Their incidence of abuse is 
substantial. But one trans person in 20 years, and and you see that it, it makes no sense from a statistical viewpoint any more than it does from a legal viewpoint. And speaking of statistics, what can you tell us about the types of discrimination that transgender people encounter, whether it's in employment, in housing, in healthcare? I know that you're on the board of Equality New York, and they put out a statistic that something about 26% of transgender people in the employment context report either not being hired, being fired, or not getting a promotion because of their gender identity. It's unfortunate, but it is true that everyone trans um, is at risk of whether, no, no matter what aspect of life they're in, of running into a situation and in which they're going to face discrimination. And, and it, it isn't even just trans people. I mean, think of the Masterpiece Cake Shop case. Um, you know, when you are perceived by some as being different, there is an unfortunate tendency to discriminate, and it can come in the form of housing. Housing is, is, a, is, a, is a very important area in which trans people have reported discrimination. Um, jobs, uh, any aspect of life that you can imagine, um, public accommodation, going to a restaurant and getting bad service, the fear of police officers is off the charts among trans people. Um, and it's unfortunate, uh, but the statistics seem to bear out that even when you have a trans person who is reported as suicidal, there's a significant portion of the community that says, don't call the police, they'll make it worse. I think, you know, it, it, this is not a legal discussion, but, but a more societal discussion that we have to get into a, a position, and laws like gender might help, where people understand that trans people are no different than anybody else. Some people are blonde, some people are brunette, some people are right-handed, some people are left-handed, some people are cisgender, some people are transgender. So as you know, all of our listeners primarily are lawyers and judges or people who love the law. Can you tell us what you would encourage advocates, either LGBT or allies, to do to take action to either pass gender or to help protect the rights and lives of transgender people here in New York or across the country? Well, the most important thing to help pass gender is to make sure that we have a Senate that is composed of people committed to passing it. That means eliminating those who are in the independent Democratic coalition, those seven, eliminating Simka Felder, eliminating Terrence Murphy, and any other senator who has, who has not supported it. Um, when it comes to generally supporting the, the uh, transgender and LGBT community, there is a new organization on whose board I am proud to serve, um, that has just been formed called the National Trans Bar Association. Uh, we'll be, uh, we, we've literally, within the past month, just been incorporated. Uh, this is an organization that's been a couple of years in the making, um, and there'll be a launch of that coming up, uh, I believe, in December. And there are other organizations like LEGAL, the LGBT Bar of Greater New York, that serves as a great group to advocate for, defend the rights of, and provide legal services to um, 
the LGBT community and to trans people in general. And I'm proud to be uh, affiliated with that board, too. Apparently, I'm on several boards. <laughs> well, after this conversation, we can all see why everybody wants you on their board. It's um, important work. And, and, and the more people who are involved in it, the better we all are and the better we're able to resist the, the craziness coming from Washington and push legislation that makes sense for New York like Janda. I really appreciate speaking with you today, Kristen, and I'm proud that I get to work with you in various capacities to help improve the lives of LGBT New Yorkers. I feel better knowing that you are leading the resistance. Thank you. It's, you know, it's not just me. There are thousands of us, and people should take part in that, that the Army quality is strong and growing. Hi, Sam. Thanks for joining me today. It's so great to hear from you, my friend. Well, before we get into talking about conversion therapy and the effort to ban it nationwide, can we take a step back? Let's talk a little bit about some of the challenges that LGBTQ youth face here in the U.S. In 2018, HRC issued a report that surveyed 12,000 LGBTQ teenagers. And these youth report facing heartbreaking levels of stress, anxiety, rejection from communities, schools, churches, even their families. You're with The Trevor Project. Can you tell us about the challenges LGBTQ youth face? Absolutely. And thank you for asking about it. I think in an age of constant political conversation and constant um, debate, over the uh, appropriate way of treating each other, it's sometimes really important to remember that those who are listening the most um, have some of the least, uh, you know, uh, power to address some of the harms that are being caused upon them, and those are LGBTQ youth. It's an age where we're watching um, LGBTQ youth consistently call um, the Trevor Project or speak with us um, at higher rates than they ever have in the past, and that's because um, the world is a scary place uh, for them right now. They are being rejected by their families. They are um, being told uh, that they are not safe in a classroom, that they are not safe in a church, um, and that can lead to a system where um, an LGBTQ youth doesn't know where to turn. And, and I'm really glad to say that the Trevor Project is there um, to listen to them and to be there for them at those moments. I'm really proud to say that there's a lot of people who are stepping up to the plate um, and doing everything they can to work on LGBTQ youth homelessness, to work on LGBTQ youth in faith communities, to work in the schools um, to make sure that they feel safe there. This is a good moment for us stepping up to the plate, but it definitely comes at the time of greatest need. And that's that's scary, but we're up to the challenge. Well, thank you for telling us what we can do to support LGBTQ youth. Now let's pivot to the practice of conversion therapy. What are we talking about specifically when folks talk about the practice of conversion therapy? Absolutely. So the practice of conversion therapy um, has a long and storied history of um, of mental health professionals first thinking that LGBTQ people 
um, uh, had a disorder or were mentally unhealthy, as that was rejected, it is a dangerous, discredited practice that does not have any medical um, uh, standing, but yet is still practiced all over the country. And when we, to relate this back to our first question, this has really direct harm on the, the people who are put through it. So, for example, we know that LGBTQ youth who um, come from highly rejecting families, such as those that might put them into conversion therapy, are 8.4 times as likely to um, uh, consider suicide as those LGBTQ youth who come from accepting families. And LGBTQ youth who come from accepting families are already um, three to four times as likely to um, attempt suicide as those their straight peers. So, so the compounding factor is just really, really strong here, and it shows you why um, conversion therapy is so harmful, is that it is a rejection of a person's identity, like who I am, how I love, um, and my, my, my sense of self is trying to be rewritten by a, you know, medically unsound and clearly harmful practice. Do we know approximately how many people are subjected to conversion therapy? I, I mean, what do you say to people who think that this doesn't happen in big cities, not in their communities? What are the actual numbers? Who are we talking about and what's the impact? The Williams Institute has done spectacular original research um, on this topic specifically coming out this year. And what we know is that nearly 700,000 LGBTQ people have experienced conversion therapy. That, that number is definitely a low estimate. I think it's also really important to recognize that half, 350,000 of those um, people that experienced conversion therapy were adolescents when it happened. And although that's scary, those are historical numbers. But the upcoming numbers are just as scary, if not worse. So 20,000 LGBT youth ages 13 to 17 will go through conversion therapy from a, through a licensed mental health professional um, in the next few years. And 57,000 of those youth will receive conversion therapy from a religious or spiritual advisor before they turn 18. So that's nearly 80,000 LGBTQ youth going through conversion therapy in the next few years. Um, and that's really terrifying to me. Um, when people tell me, so I'm a survivor of conversion therapy, and when people tell me, like, oh, yeah, but that, that doesn't happen anymore, we now know that not only is this happening, but this is happening en masse. All right, well, let's talk about some of the good news. It's really an accomplishment that I believe in the last year alone, five states have moved to ban the practice of conversion therapy and successfully eliminated it. I know here in New York City, we've banned conversion therapy. There are counties and cities across our state that have banned conversion therapy. Can you tell us about why you've been so successful recently? In one of the greatest turn of events, this year um, has been the most successful year in the history of legislatively working to end conversion therapy. As you said, five states have protected LGBTQ youth from conversion therapy this year. Four states have protected LGBTQ youth from conversion therapy last year. And in total, 
14 states and the District of Columbia now protect LGBTQ youth from conversion therapy. It is a watershed couple of years now as we are working to do this work. That, that joins 40 to 50 cities and counties who are working to do this work. And to, I, I am extremely proud of the number that in total, 34 states across the country now have submitted or passed legislation working to end conversion therapy. And although that may sound, um, you know, like a, a large number, that still means that you have 16 states where we haven't even started the conversation yet, right? Like, that's a lot of work we have left to do. But to rest on our laurels for a second, that is still a lot of work that we have done. That has happened because of amazing organizations um, that, uh, like the Born Perfect campaign from the National Center for Lesbian Rights and the amazing work by the Human Rights Campaign and the work that we are doing by the Trevor Project, the 50 Bill, 50 States campaign. I think it's really, really important to say that um, it's, it's going to take a lot of effort continuously to keep submitting and passing these pieces of legislation. But um, with the 50 Bill, 50 States campaign and others, we're doing it. it. It's being successful. And I'm excited to see where that goes next. Thank you so much for that uplifting moment. That's certainly what we needed. Can you tell us what you hear from folks when you start those conversations, either about their experience as a survivor of conversion therapy or talking to legislators about some of their fears about banning conversion therapy, some of the First Amendment arguments that you hear from folks? What do these conversations sound like in practice? All of these conversations have to start um, with the amazing, amazing state organizations that are on the ground um, and hearing these experiences from um, their members and from those within their state and saying that something needs to be done. So all of this starts with the power of the coalition um, centered around a lot of these LGBT state equality groups who are, who are leading these efforts based on those stories. Now, many, many survivors um, uh, are hesitant to come forward with their experiences on conversion therapy because it is traumatic. And I need to be extremely clear that we should be supporting um, those who are, are um, able to tell their story in a safe and mentally healthy way, but that we should be recognizing that the trauma of survivor-based advocacy can also be um, difficult. The hardest part is that legislators um, have been saying that they need to hear these experiences in order to um, file legislation or to pass legislation. And yes, I recognize that the need to hear from a survivor is important um, to, to ground this in experience. It's also important to say that those who are, you know, in the community in general and surrounding these survivors can be just as strong, if not more strong. So a progressive faith leader who can talk about this not representing their faith, a mental health professional who can talk about the um, uh, responses that they're having to build and the resilience that they're having to build within LGBTQ people because of the harms that have been caused by this conversion therapy, a parent who recognizes that even the option of this existing could have tricked them into harming their child. 
you could talk about legal experts who could say that this is not um, a limitation of First Amendment rights, but that instead this is a protection of youth, which is something we in this country are really, really important about. It is really important to say that this is conduct that can be regulated. You're, I know that this is, you know, a legal, a legal state. That is the argument. This is conduct that can be regulated. We limit what um, uh, doctors can do. We are limiting the license of these mental health um, professionals who are trying to practice an ineffective and harmful practice of conversion therapy. It's important for um, those who are listening to say, one, let me see if I can help the national organizations that have the best practices on this, and two, let's just refute these arguments when they're not good. Well, Sam, thank you so much for speaking with us today. I feel like if there's anybody who is listening to this that didn't feel like they needed to immediately stand up and get off the sidelines and think of some way that they can get involved with this uh, effort to ban conversion therapy, if they don't feel that way, there's something wrong with them. (laughs) So thank you so much for speaking with us, particularly on your birthday. Uh, We appreciate the work you do. Uh, truly my honor. Um, as a survivor of conversion therapy, getting to now fight day in and day out to protect LGBTQ youth from the practice and watch that we have seen, I mean, I didn't get to mention a statistic. The reason they should jump off the sidelines is that 6,000 LGBTQ youth have been estimated to have been, you know, protected from conversion therapy. They would have been put into it, but are no longer able to be because we have stopped youth from being able to access conversion therapy um, in uh, 14 states. So that's, that's numbers. Those are lives we have saved from trauma, and we are more than willing to have as much help in the upcoming um, fights and battles to protect even thousands more. So um, in order to join the, um, the 50 Bill 50 State campaign, a person can text the word Trevor, T-R-E-V-O-R, to 40649. Um, so that's uh, T-R-E-V-O-R to the number 40649. They can also reach out to advocacy at thetrevorproject.org, and we will more than gladly connect them to some of the best resources um, in that space. And then, of course, please do check out the amazing um, Born Perfect campaign uh, as well, managed by the National Center for Lesbian Rights, as they do spectacular work on this and have been for quite some time. Great. Well, thank you so much, Sam. You're very welcome. Thank you, my friend. On August 17, 2013, Elan Nettles met James Dixon on the streets in Harlem. Dixon started flirting with Nettles, unaware that she was a transgender woman. When Dixon's friends started mocking him, Dixon became enraged and struck Nettles, causing her to fall to the ground. Evidence indicated that she was repeatedly struck while laying on the pavement and that her head had been rammed into the pavement. Five days after the incident, Nettles died as a result of her injuries at the age of 21. Dixon later told the police that he just didn't want to be fooled and that he had gone into a blind fury when he discovered that Nettles was transgender. On the eve of trial, Dixon pled guilty to manslaughter in exchange for a promised sentence of 12 years in prison out of a maximum sentence of 25 years. Dixon's attempt to justify killing Nettles after discovering her gender identity is reflective of a system that endorses a blame-shifting strategy. This strategy allows those accused of LGBT murder to rely and rally the anti-LGBT biases of judges, juries, 
in order to mitigate their perceived culpability. Tactics like these are frequently referred to as gay panic or trans panic legal defenses, and they've not been banned here in New York. I had the opportunity to sit down with Alex Silverman of WCBS 880 AM radio to discuss the elimination of gay and trans panic defenses here in New York. What follows is that complete audio segment. For folks who are not familiar with what this means, uh, what exactly is the panic defense and, and how has it been used? Basically, attempts to blame a victim. So defenses will attempt to ask a court or a jury to empathize with or excuse the violent actions of a defendant because they basically panicked when they learned that their victim was LGBT. So um, gay and trans panic legal defenses aren't standalone defenses to say murder, for example, but they're tactics that are used to mitigate other charges so that they receive a lesser sentence. So you would argue to support an insanity defense, a provocation, self-defense, something like that to get a lighter sentence. I think one of the most well-known incidents was, if folks remember the 1990s, Scott Amador went on the Jenny Jones show. He confessed his love for his neighbor, Jonathan Schmitz, on television. Jonathan Schmitz later went to the bank, withdrew money, purchased a firearm, drove to Scott's house, shot him in the heart, and then later claimed he basically panicked when he learned that Scott was gay. Uh, and he received a lighter sentence. And of course, here in New York, we've had the case of Ilan Nettles, who was a transgender woman who was killed in 2013 when her attacker kicked her, shouted anti-trans and anti-gay slurs. He invoked a trans panic defense and received a lighter sentence. So it has been used here in New York. And even some of the press, when they were you know, reporting on the incident involving Ilan's murder, they, you know, put in there that he had made a pass at her, that he was shocked, that he was humiliated in some unspecific way when he learned that Elon was transgender, supposedly prompting the attack. These, of course, have no relevance to, um, you know, anything that we want reported in the news that's the victim's identity in some way provoked an attack. What went through your mind when you heard that Governor Cuomo had decided to move forward with a ban on this? This is great news for New York. It's so important to do one small thing that could have a significant impact on deterring or at least uh, ending the crisis of violence that's uh, affecting the LGBT community. Is this something that other states have have gone forward and have been trying to, to get rid of, or is New York leading the way on this? Yeah, well, New York is absolutely leading the way. Um, It is following to some degree. California um, moved to ban this, I believe, back in 2014. Um, Illinois just banned it uh, last year. Um, And so New York is really, the ABA has come out, uh, the House of Delegates voted to um, vote to move forward with ending gay and trans panic defenses. We at the New York LGBT Bar Association have been pushing to end them here. Um, But this is certainly, we would be only the third state to have formally banned the use of these defenses. And I think it's a really important way that New York is once again leading the way um, by showing that we're not going to tolerate the crisis of violence, of hate rhetoric that attacks um, members of the LGBT community, but also other marginalized communities here in New York who are particularly vulnerable at this moment when um, we have an administration that's promoting um, or 
at least not, you know, in a really forceful way, speaking out against some of the most egregious uh, violence that we've seen targeted at minority communities. Eric, thank you very much. Thank you so much, Alex. Thank you so much for being a listener of the LGBT Law Notes podcast. We hope this episode has inspired you to get active in the political process and work with the LGBT Bar Association of New York and... Equality New York, the Trans Bar Association, and your local representatives to make sure that New York becomes a beacon of progressive hope for LGBTQ people here and across the world. We will be back next week with Professor Art Leonard for the Law Notes episode of this podcast. Art has been busy working for the last two months to catch up with all the LGBT legal developments that have been happening over the summer, and it's a lot. So we have exciting things to talk about, and we certainly hope you will tune in and listen. Thank you so much. Back soon.